I'm a little tired of the believing the best about people, but that's not extended to us. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm tired of like, you know, if you have questions about things I've said, just come ask me, you know, well, we can talk about it. I'm not ever at a place where I think I am without error in every way. Here's where, where I, I have to start to get, to give the context. I mean, this is, this is history in that when the PCA was born in 1973, and I always remember that because the same year I was born. <laughs> So in 1973, you know, the PC, the people who created the PCA were saying, look, we don't like the way the denomination is going. It was the PCUS at the time. And we need to step out uh, of this denomination because we feel like they're um, becoming too liberal and they're becoming too, you know, ecumenical and accepting of any, anyone and everything and not in accordance with scripture and the gospel. And so they've, they've kind of maintained that stance, that approach for 47 years, right? And so it's, um, it's this approach of, we are the ones who are getting it right. We are historically based, traditional orthodoxy. We, we are the ones who have done the work to, to see how scripture has defined our existence in the world, our ecclesiology, our governance, all the things. And so I need to say from the beginning that that's not a bad thing. That's a good right. thing. This is, this is a good thing. It's, I mean, maybe the attitude of we're the only ones getting it right is not such a good thing, right? <laughs> uh, and that's where, that's where we are. Like, that's where we have to talk about this is that we can be absolutely correct in our ecclesiology and be absolutely sinful in our attitudes about how correct we are. And so then it becomes a question of, are we allowing for the sin of arrogance to, to dictate everything else, right? Like the, this, this double down of, we are the only ones who are getting this right. And if you disagree with us, or if you even ask a question about what we're doing then you're part of the problem and you need to get out <laughs> right so some some of the speculation that's going around now and i and it's speculation because and it's speculation from all sides right like everybody's kind of speculating what's going to happen nobody knows nobody really knows you can have a sense of what's happening so it's been happening for the past at least as long as i've been in the pca since 2007 i've been made aware of these kind of factions within the pca these are people that are you know strict subscriptionists which you know those are the people who say this is what the BCO says is what the catechism says, and this is what we do. They're do or die, right? Like we're we're not we're not taking exceptions to anything. This is what we're doing. And then there's the faction of people who are like, well, <laughs> let's talk about that. Like let's say that there are good biblical reasons for us to not um, totally buy into certain things. 
and we think they're secondary issues and we, we, they're not essential to the gospel. And we agree that um, because they're not that important, we're not going to keep talking about them. We're not going to keep discussing it every year. And we're not going to keep arguing with each other over these things. Here's, you know, it's not like people are coming up with things out of the blue. You know, it's these are things that have been discussed for hundreds of years. Over and and over. very, very intelligent men have been arguing about these things for for centuries. And so, you know, to kind of say that, um, you know, half of those men are wrong, <laughs> it's just, um, it's frustrating to say the least. You know, we have all these factions that kind of say, this is how the PCA should be. And I mean, they flat out, so, so well, let me back up. So, um, you know, back in, I believe it was 2002, and I want to say it was Brian Chapel. someone can correct me on that, but um, who kind of came out with this uh, idea that we're either going to be a good faith denomination or we're not. Like, we just need to settle that. Like, if you're going to say, if the GA is going to vote by a large majority or any, any kind of majority, um, if you're going to vote that we need to be strict subscriptionists, like you're not allowed to take any exceptions, you're not allowed to have any differences in the way that you you can, you know, even just how you conduct your service, your worship service, or what music you choose, like all, all those kinds of things, you know, whether or not a woman can read scripture, right? Those Those are all things that each individual church needs to decide, each session needs to decide for themselves. Or we're going to say everyone's got to be uniform and everyone's got to do exactly the same thing. And so in 2002, they took a vote and they were like, yeah, we're going to be a good faith denomination. We're going to trust, you know, like you said earlier, we're going to believe in the best in people. We're going to believe that the, the people that are go, uh, going to these churches and are on these sessions are actually doing the best they can in terms of you know reading the scripture praying 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 for the holy spirit to help help us make all the decisions and that wherever they land on we're going to have good faith that they are following after god now so then you fast forward to a few years ago uh, whenever the the women, so the women's thing, no, I think the racial reconciliation one came out first, right? I think so. Uh, with, um, you know, the, just this idea that we need to repent as a denomination for our history. So then you have this, this I mean, and that's a, that's a huge debate and it, it deserves all the care and nuance and all those things to parse out what does that mean to repent for the the history of our denomination and, and the people that had, excuse me, a lot of, you know, influence and whatever. And so the denomination came out and said, we, you know, 80% of the GA said, yeah, we need to make the statement that the PCA has a troubled past, right? I mean, that's obviously oversimplifying. But there was a lot of people who were just no, you know, that that disagreed with that, 
and didn't feel like we needed to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we have the women's uh, committee where the women said we we need to see more women in ministry and you know we don't have to go through all that we just did <laughs> and so you have these two groups of people that are uh you know arguing for things like race and and segregation and um you know along racial lines and along gender lines you know you fast forward to last year or two years ago now now we're going to talk about the same-sex attracted community and and the LGBT demographic and how we're ministering to them and how we're engaging in in the complex issues of sexuality and and how it is at the forefront of so many conversations in our culture and so now you know we're we're segregating again with more people saying there's no place for any of that here (laughs) right like just we don't want you here get out I mean let's basically boil down to what these factions of people are saying we just and and what what kills me about that is you know it's it does two things it makes people who struggle so much more hesitant to admit they're struggling so it just helps people hide better because they're definitely afraid of the fallout um which discourages me to no end and then it also creates this atmosphere of the uh, whatever the opposite of being welcoming is right like um we're, we're not welcoming people we're putting a you know, again, more and more fences that you have to pass through in order to be accepted into our inner circle. And and wherever you are on your journey through life just isn't good enough for us. Like that's really what it's saying. It's like you you have to you have to grow up a little bit more before you're allowed to come hang. And it's just not it's not what I want to be part of. That's that's not the church I want to go to. And there are people that that are trying to make us agree to their terms for church. And so it'll be really interesting to see the fallout from all of that. You know, I don't know when all of this, these factions started organizing. I'd imagine it's been a long time. We are still holding to the traditional, historical, orthodox doctrines of the church. Like, there's nothing that we're disagreeing with. Like, we're not, we're not disagreeing with, with the actual stances of, of, you know, the Westminster Catechism, the, the BCO, like all this, there's things that, you know, in the BCO that constantly need to be tweaked. I don't think anyone could argue with that. <laughs> like, there, there are absolutely things that, that always need to be readdressed in light of situations we're going through. And so no, no one's arguing with that. But the, the things that are like set in concrete about our denomination, I mean, they are, they're set in concrete. We're not, we're not trying to bulldoze it. We're, it's really, really what we agree to. It's how we 
then treat people who disagree or who ask questions or who don't understand something or are trying to dig into why. Why do we believe these things? Why do we hold these standards the way we do? And then where are the, which standards are the ones that have, that have some room? Like we're, and the, the strict subscription crowd is like, there's no room, there's no room for that. <laughs> where the good faith crowd is like, well, like if we keep making d- new denominations for every time we disagree, you know, we, we'd be having 50 more denominations by next year. <laughs> like it's just, we can't keep doing that. Yeah, I know. Well, you know that there is one that formed just recently, the Vanguard Presbytery. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's why this is a big discussion because, I mean, not the only reason why, but I think why it's on the, why it's important is because that is happened within the past, since last General Assembly, that that yeah. has happened. Yeah. And there are whole presbyteries in in the PCA that are saying they're waiting to see what happens yep. um, at this general assembly to determine if they're going to leave the PCA and go with this other denomination, this newly formed Vanguard denomination. And my question was, why don't they just go to the OPC or you know one of these other small Presbyterian denominations? Why form an, yet another? And yeah. the response I was given was because the other ones aren't pure enough. Right. Well, that's their MO. I mean, that's that's how they that's how they live and breathe. You know, <laughs> it's like no one's doing it right but us. That 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 is the foundation of of denominations. Can I just say, Robin, that I think Jesus had a lot to say about that. And and New Testament has a lot to say about that. And I think we need to ask ourselves more often than we do. Who in scripture do we see priding themselves on having everything right? And what did Jesus have to say to those people? That's all I'm going to say on that. Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, this idea of, uh, you know, the, the Pharisees, who were the established religion at the time, religious leaders, as, and rightly so, that's that's what their job was. Instead of determining where they were wrong, like could this, could this really be the Messiah? Could this man standing in front of us really be the one that God has promised us? And instead of engaging in those questions, um, you know, they there's this faction of people who came to the conclusion that he's not, and we need to kill him. We need to kill yeah. him. Yeah, and they were super concerned with with maintaining the purity of the scriptures. I mean, and I and that's important. It is important. But in their in their pursuit of maintaining the purity of the scriptures, they missed the heart of it, and they missed the Messiah because they were so convinced. One. God, it would be blasphemous for God to take on a human form. So this isn't him, you know, this isn't it. And whoever the Messiah is that's coming is going to rid us of this, you know, of these Roman oppressions. And isn't that fascinating? When yeah. now the discussion is, no, we can't talk at all about, 
about physical oppressions and in any way, because then, you know, Marxist or CRT. Yeah, and, and it, it crosses over really well. I mean, like, that was a good observation, because then, you know, we're also talking about nationalism, right? This Christian right. nationalism, like, we think that the kingdom of God is America. <laughs> and I mean, we want America to be like the kingdom of God. We do. And that's a good thing. That's a good goal. We, we should have the kind of society that's based on biblical principles. We, we want to be part of that as Christians. We want to be part of making this country uh, a, a good, uh, wholesome, safe place for people. Nobody's arguing with that. But then when you kind of elevate a nation that be beyond, you know, adding on to scripture of, of, you know, this, this country that we live in takes precedence over our own churches, over our own people, mm -hmm. and the people who we are called to serve. It's just, I mean, it's, it seems pretty clear to us, right? Like, how are people missing that? Because they just double down, right? They're, they're doubling down on their, again, their arrogance of saying, no, no, we're the ones who got this right. We know what we're talking about. Yeah, and, and I think the dangerous, unwilling. yeah, and the dangerous side effect of that kind of mentality that we're the only ones who got it right, or that our country is, um, you know, founded on, is, is like somehow a, a Christian nation or a, a biblical nation is that we can then not question anything within our country because then we're questioning God himself or we're questioning the scriptures if we question it because this is a Christian nation. I think that same thing happens when we hold so firmly to the fact that we have the only right doctrine and interpretation of scripture and we can't question our interpretation. And I guess I wanna say like, I'm not being, I'm not saying that the purity of scripture or that holding on to the truth or the inerrancy of God's word is not important. Those are things I all believe to be true in my heart of hearts, but learning also to hold things loosely because I don't, because I'm not right on everything. I'm not right on everything. And, and I hope that in my lifetime, I will continue to grow more and more. And I can't grow if I think I've already got it all. Like if I already if I already know everything. So in this discussion, I feel like part of my frustration is this is is this mentality that that I that I know everything. And and like you said, you know, we're to us, it's like, how can you not see these things? But as this at the same time, I am blind to my own sin. I am, I know it. I need people in my life to show me there are things that other people look at me and say, how can she not see that? because I'm blind to it, not just to my own sin, but to my own sinful response to my sin um, and, and my just desire to cover up and excuse. That same thing is true of others. It's not just true of me. So when you have other people speaking into your life and saying, you know, you, you don't see this, you miss this, but this is really where, you know, that's how iron sharpens iron. And I don't feel like we're having those kind of conversations. I feel like instead we're just saying, you're wrong and I'm leaving. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna the, pack up my toys and go. The kind, the kind, yeah, <laughs> the kind of humility that it takes. I mean, you know, that 
I really feel like that's where we land is this this humility of some, you know, we do have some leaders who are incredibly gracious, humble men who are trying to kind of hold those all of those things in tension and say, um, you know, we really do need to seek the peace and purity of our church, uh, of our denomination. But what it ends up kind of being is this, this overall like compromise like let's all just meet in the middle somewhere yeah and that that's been the the methodology for you know my whole lifetime at least right like it's always this like you have a conflict well you just have to meet in the middle somewhere and we've we've realized the danger of that and we've realized how that's incredibly inefficient and often totally unfair right um and so trying to get at where where we discern like I need to be humble enough you know like you're saying I need to be humble enough to say I have planks in my eyes that I cannot see properly and I need someone else to tell me where they are and to help me remove them across the board everybody's got to be willing to do that and then owning that we we are some some people, and I'm not trying to make it sound like some people are better than others, but but let's be honest, there are some people who are much more willing to do that than others. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are people who are who are humble enough to say, I I could be wrong on this, and I want to understand how I'm wrong, and I want to engage in the conversation without it devolving into you know ad hominem attacks or, or questioning my character. I mean, that's where it goes. I mean, I personally have have been in those conversations where it becomes a question of character and it becomes a question of, you know, if I have a legitimate concern or, or a disagreement on some policy in my church and I raise that concern and then people come back attacking me for my motives or for my you know because I'm spiritually immature or because you know any number of things like that instead of actually engaging in the conversation you know it shows an incredible arrogance and so it's just I mean to me it comes it always comes down to humility and it always comes down to um you know not not starting out with this stance like we're the only ones who are right and if if you don't agree we're we're leaving and we're not talking to you anymore, right? Like we're, we're just not even fellowshipping with you anymore. And we're gonna, and <laughs> we're gonna spin it so that it seems like it's all your fault, right? Like you were the ones who were, who were um, destroying the unity of the church. You yeah. were the ones who are being divisive and, instead of, we both were, we were both part of this conversation. So, I, you know, honestly, I hope that um, you know, in a lot of ways, of course, yeah, I'll go on record and I'll say that I hope in some ways that there is a split. And I know that sounds awful. I know what that sounds like, but I'm just being honest because I'm tired of them having this conversation every five years about whether or not we trust each other. Because right. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of, of the accusations of we, we really, we, you know, these guys really, really don't trust each other. Yeah. And that's the issue. 
and and for um for us to continue as a denomination and hold each other with such suspicion and 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 slander each other every chance you get and constantly having an us versus them mentality yeah not okay is not okay in our churches and to model that to like be leaders and model that for for you know people like you and me as as lay leaders in our churches like well you know i'm supposed to be following you guys and this is this is the example you're giving me <laughs> like no wonder our churches are a mess <laughs> no wonder we have these these incredibly damaged churches in 2020 because we're just we're not getting at that place of we don't trust each other we're not really caring for each other well we're not putting each other's interests ahead of our own we're really not digging deep into where the conflict really starts I mean, all those things, it's just, to me, you know, we can't, I mean, I've, if someone else has said this to me recently, and it wasn't my husband, but <laughs> someone else, another man said, you know, we can't keep, the, the PCA can't keep doing this because it's going to just, it is going to just split. And I, I said, that's okay. Denominations come and go. And, mm -hmm. and that's okay. God never sanctioned a particular denomination. He said, be my church, be my people, love each other. That's what he said. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm really uh, frustrated, but I'm also kind of like, you know, this, maybe this is what we need. You know, we really we need some kind of big explosion, and that's yeah, that's okay. Even just this is encouraging just to talk through these things and process. I am a verbal processor, you know, so I don't. I don't ever process anything quietly. It's all, I need someone to bounce it off of. So I think I need to say that for this podcast and every other future podcast we ever have. <laughs> right. <laughs> I say something and it's totally off the wall. <laughs> I'm processing. And I will usually catch myself, but sometimes I don't. But anyway, um, as we're talking, I just, I think you know, I'm going to try not to get too emotional myself here, but I have just been so deeply grieved by my, by the church that I, that I dearly love, um, not, not, not local, I'm talking big church, because, you know, I think our call is as, as brothers and sisters in Christ is to reflect Christ. It is to reflect him. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And yet I have many friends who are outside of the body of Christ who want nothing to do with the church because they believe that the church is reflecting Christ and we are not. Um, and I think you brought up the point with the humility aspect. And as we were talking too, I'm, I'm currently reading Gentle and Lowly. And one of the things, I just wanted to read this one quote because we were, you were talking about how important doctrine is and truth it is it really is but he makes this comment that um have we considered the loveliness of the heart of christ perhaps beauty is not a category that comes naturally to mind when we think about christ maybe we think of god and christ in terms of truth not beauty this is the part that i just underlined like seven times but the whole reason we care about sound doctrine is for the sake of preserving god's beauty just as the whole reason we care about effective focal lenses on a camera 
is to capture the precision of the beauty we photograph. And, and I think we've somehow lost, I don't wanna say, I don't even know that it's intentional, but part of that is, you know, are, is the church of Christ beautiful? Is the gospel beautiful to a watching world? Is this conversation we're even having about all these conversations within the PCA, is that beautiful? Like it's not reflecting the humility and the beauty of Christ that we're called to reflect. And I, I really grieve that. And part, and I'm just wondering, it just, is some of this a result of our unwillingness to listen to those outside the church? And even just remotely like take the things they're saying and do some introspective, like, is there any truth to what they're seeing and saying about us? Because sometimes even, you know, those that, that don't have the gospel can see, can see some things that we can't see ourselves. We're just too close to it. Absolutely. You know, here's, here's a practical example of how that happens. And I mean, you're, you're absolutely right in that, you know, the watching world is, is looking at the church capital C right now and saying, no, thank you. And while we can, you know, bemoan that and, you know, kind of um, brush it off, like, well, they don't understand, or, you know, that's because they're sinners or whatever. Um, sure, I, uh, whatever. You know, it's the, the aroma of death to, to people who are who are not saved. I get all that. But but the attitude that it, it shows is just um, you know, it's it's remarkable in that uh, you know, we're trying to say that we're doing everything for the peace and purity of the church. And it's kind of like saying uh, we're okay with sacrificing everybody else, right? And, and my thing is always, we, we can't sacrifice other people. That's just murder. Yeah. We self-sacrifice. We're self-sacrificing people. But um, so the, the, the practical example of this, um, and which is one of the things we wanted to talk about today, is this case in Central Indiana Presbytery. And so, you know, I want to be really careful about how we talk about it because it's a current case it's, that's ongoing in the Presbytery. Uh, and if any of them end up listening to this, <laughs> God help them. <laughs> uh, I don't want to. I don't want to make light of it. It's just you know sometimes we laugh because we're just <laughs> stressed out. You know, I've been you and I have both. I mean, we partly even got together right because of some of the stuff that happened, right? Like uh, yeah. And so we we bonded over this, you know, miscarriage of justice and spiritual authority <laughs> and um you know this idea that there's this case going on in a local church and the local church took a stance of we have to we have to kind of um you know protect our pastor at all costs at all costs right like no matter what we have to paint him as the good guy and, you know, it's it's striking on a, a number of different levels because, I mean, first of all, everything that's happening in the past, you know, five years in our country, in our culture, in our context, you know, and for this to still be happening points to, I mean, 
just how deeply entrenched some people are against the idea of speaking truth to power, for one, and then believing victims. Yeah. You know, we we don't want we don't want to believe bad things about people. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I want to believe the best in everybody. I really, really do. And when I first heard this story out of central Indiana, I really did think in my head, like there has to be some explanation. Now, I also want to be careful because, you know, the PCA is very small. <laughs> and so when I asked my husband, he's like, do you know this guy? He, he knew him. Of course you did, right? Like the PCA is small. So he, they're not like buddies or anything, but he knew him. And he was just, I mean, I could see it on his face. Like he was stunned by the allegations hmm. and, and just heartbroken. Now to my husband's credit, because my husband is awesome. He immediately talked to a few other people. Like, have you heard of this? What's happening? Were, you know, and, and people that were in that press tree. And they were all like, man, this this is a mess. And we're all heartbroken about it. We really are. So the, there are men that understood what was happening. And we're just, I mean, here's our point. They were just unprepared for it. Yeah. Completely unprepared for it. And so for me, it's like, I want to give you grace. And, and the benefit of the doubt, I believe your heart was good. I believe you're, you're, uh, you wanted to see justice done and you want to, I, I, you know, I really think that there are men that, that absolutely believed the victims from the beginning. And, but they, but they just did not know what to do. And I'm sorry, but that's on them. Yeah. It is on them. Because we're in this age now where we, we, can't, we can't keep pretending that, you know, ignorance is bliss because it's just, it's not. And we, we have so much information, so many resources that we can tap into to be prepared for these things to happen in our local churches. And it's heartbreaking and we hate it. I mean... You know, 10 years ago, churches were starting to do like training for their youth workers, right? We knew it was coming. We knew this was happening. We wanted to talk about it. But for some reason, we just kind of stopped with the youth group, right? Like we just were like, well, we don't want our kids to be harmed. And don't get me wrong, obviously. I mean, I have children. I, I could... Any, at any moment of the day, if I start thinking about my children in harm's way, I just want to cry, right? Um, and so, of course, we want to protect our children and, and teach them about all these things. But then we kind of fail in terms of, you know, keeping that energy going through our entire churches, asking hard questions of people, talking to our elders, you know, pastors and elders getting together and holding each other accountable. You know, I, my, my husband and I talk about this, you know, when we were at other churches, like how often do elders repent to each other? Like just 
you know, confess their struggles and their temptations to each other or, or confess how they've treated somebody. Like, has it ever happened? <laughs> you know, like, has it ever happened that you have a session with me and an elder stands up and says, hey, I have something to confess. I have been really angry with this woman and I've called her bad names, right? Yeah. Like, who, who does that? Who's doing that? I, I hope it's happening. I'm not gonna say yeah. it doesn't happen. I'm sure that there are presbytery or sessions somewhere where that's happening and I commend them because that's how it's supposed to happen. And so we, we do that way, way, way before we get to this case in central Indiana, right? Like this is, this is a product of years and years of not doing that, not confessing, not repenting to each other, not asking hard questions, just letting things go, excusing the behavior, like, you know, boys will be boys. Yeah instead of holding each other to account. And, and so uh, that's a rabbit trail, but um, you know, back to the original like idea of, we need to have churches that are trauma-informed, that understand the long ranging effects of abuse and the trauma that it causes. And we need to have a handle on the damage that all of this is doing to our witness. I mean, now it's gone public. Now it's notorious. Now it's like anybody with an internet connection is going to find out about what's happening at Central Indiana Presbytery. And it should never have been that. It should never have gotten to this. Never. Right. Front page news. I mean, you know, it's on this like student newsletter. And the more we talk about it, the more press it gets, right? Like it starts getting the attention because it's a hot button. Right, right now it's a hot button. It's, it's all over the place. Everybody's talking about church abuse, everybody. And so, uh, you know, and that's not, that's not the fault of the victims. I mean, let's get that right. clear. It's not our fault. It is, it is the symptom of the real problem, which is our leadership not taking ownership of of what's happening under their roof, on their watch. Right. You know, one of the things that comes to mind knowing this story, and I know shared a little bit that I have some personal experience with with abuse in, in the church myself, but a couple of things really stood out to me that, you know, kind of, and I think maybe you were the one who shared a story a few weeks ago too about how like um pride you know that's not a moral failure for a pastor or you know abuse of power or whatever and i think we don't take abuse spiritual abuse and abuse of power seriously enough it often not always not always but it often does lead or bleeds into other areas where we see sexual abuse and physical abuse my experience was like, well, if this would have been sexual abuse, it would have been easier, easier to prosecute, like easier to, you know, to go somewhere with, easier to bring charges against or whatever. But you look at, at cases where there is sexual harassment and abuse intertwined, and that's still not clear cut or easy to bring charges against. Yeah. So it's like, what in the world has to happen 
to make this a clear cut case is just very difficult, I think, and frustrating, especially for those who find themselves without voice, without position to bring to defend themselves without power. I mean, that's basically what it is. And it was interesting when I was in this story too, that um, the irony to me is that the argument with one particular person really started over whether or not the church is a safe place for victims and abuse survivors and she was saying it's not. And here is someone in a position of power bullying her saying, no, the church is a safe place. While she's literally experiencing it not being a safe place because she said it wasn't a safe place. So it's just so ironic to me. But I think there's a lot of misinformation out there too regarding even regarding sexual abuse. I, it needs to be said, and there's plenty of research on this. This isn't just off the wall, pulling this out of the air or anything, but sexual abuse is about power. It is an abuse of power. That's why you have men raping women of all, girls of all ages, of all body types, of all, you know, it's not about sexual attraction. It's not about pornography. It's not even always about lust. It is about power. It's why you see conquering armies come in to places and and rape all the women in the villages why they're not sexually attracted to all of them it's about power and that needs to be made really clear when we abuse our positions of power in any form whether that be spiritual physical sexual emotional it's not christ-like and it's not a qualification of an elder or a shepherd of God's people. It needs to be addressed and needs to be dealt with. And like you said, if it would have been, and I wanna be empathetic, you know, I wanna be gracious. Yes, we weren't prepared. Um, I, I hear that you're not prepared, I get that. You know, who is prepared for half the things that come down the lane, you know? But we should know better. And it wouldn't have been this, it would not have made this national news if it would have been handled better. We brought in Grace to do a training and there was a lot of really good information that they, that they shared with us. But one of the things was, you know, when you see the breaking the arm prayers in the Psalms, uh, David is saying, break the arm of that, that phrase is meant to basically take away their power, take it away from them because they are harming people. And I honestly, I think that needs to be our prayer more often. Just do it, God, do it. Break the arms of whoever, whoever you need to do that to for the peace and purity of the church. Amen. Uh, we certainly, you and I have, have had many conversations about spiritual abuse and the very term is kind of, you know, there will be some who will just contest that that term. Like, you know, it's <laughs> it's not a new thing, right? It's it's just a word. It's a term that's kind of captured what's happening, so that we can kind of understand it and wrap our minds around it. Like, clearly, there's been abusive patterns since you know the time of 
Moses, right? Like, it's not something new. But, you know, just trying to, you know, thinking back over, um, you know, some of the other conversations we've had over the past, you know, six months or so, um, and how, how we recognize that because because these men and and in the PCA it's just men <laughs> because these men are in positions of leadership that we have we've voted them in we've we've given them a place of power and authority over us and it's all good and right and what should happen the the Bible is pretty clear on that and I'm not contesting that at all. But we've kind of put some people in these positions for reasons that are troubling, right? And a lot of that is because there are, there are these men who have pride issues, right? Like they really, they have issues with their egos. And it works itself out to be this charming people-pleasing, charismatic leaders who, you know, seem so winsome. They're, they're often not always handsome, right? So it's, it's like the, just these, these men who kind of come in and kind of command a room and everybody really likes them and respects them. And they've become, they become this personality, right? Like they've become this, you know, I won't say celebrity because nobody's really a celebrity in the PCA, right? Like, I mean, you might, you might say there's one or two people who are kind of famous, but for the most part, we're all, you know, this is such a small bowl of fish. <laughs> but, um, and I mean that with all due respect, of course. <laughs> you know, there's, there's these certain guys that get elevated in our circles for all those qualities instead of asking the question like what what is his character really like who is he behind closed closed doors right how does he respond when people disagree with exactly Exactly. And those are the kinds of questions that we need to be asking about these people that we're, we're putting in positions over us, you know, and, and that's part of, you know, circling back, like that's part of my big problem with these, these men who are, you know, rallying the troops for this conference and whatnot. These guys are eloquent. These, these guys are, are intelligent, knowledgeable. They know how to put a, sermon together obviously right and and they're gonna win people over because they're you know they're capable of that and that's you know that those are those are not bad things like my husband can be really charming and and you know he's handsome and all those things and he checks himself and that's the difference like he is constantly checking himself like I don't want, this is not about me building a fan club, right? It's it's about Jesus. It's about pointing to the goodness and the beauty of Jesus and how his people are supposed to be. Yeah. And so, you know, you get these guys who, who are kind of given 
really big platforms and just allowing them to kind of run rampant instead of checking them and 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 asking the hard questions the moment someone came to that session and said I don't I'm having a problem with this pastor it should have been warning bells like in some ways it's like it's almost like we we should make a bigger deal of things earlier so that they're not a big deal later yeah right like that's kind of what (laughs) how it has to go like from the moment something happens we sound the alarm and we say we need to deal with this now so that it doesn't fester and become this cancer in our church yeah for the sake of everyone involved and especially because if these are accusations coming against an elder we know that they're being they they have to be held to this higher standard so it shouldn't it shouldn't be a problem to investigate them particularly if there's nothing to hide and if if there really is nothing to hide or this was just a misunderstanding of some sort that will come out in the investigation and it will give him an opportunity to repent and ask for forgiveness and reconciliation to occur and what a better i mean what better example is there of the gospel at work than that so yeah a big deal should be made especially when you get a letter from five people yeah that's your first hearing of it is five people saying you know yeah yeah absolutely you know there's that line in the bco about bringing charges against an elder and that it shouldn't be frivolous right we've talked about that before like defining what frivolous means and i i think in some ways it serves against us because it's this idea of of you know, we don't want to push right away being having this formal process of, of, you know, having to go through a trial and all that. Because we don't want it to get to the point where we have to go to a trial, right? Like we want it to be a one-on-one or, or the, you know, this guy has to meet with the session and say, yeah, this really happened. And I acted inappropriately and I need to repent. And we need to talk about what, uh, you know, consequences there may be because of that and own it, right? Own it earlier on so that it doesn't, because what happens is, you know, a lot of these guys, they they put, keep pushing that boundary of what's appropriate and they don't, they don't even know anymore. Like, you know, whether it's because they're just narcissists and can't ever do anything wrong or because no one tells them that, that it's wrong and no so they're holding them accountable. No one's holding them accountable. And so it's like, well, uh, you know, then it's not really that bad. It's not that bad if I make a really crass joke to some, you know, woman. It's not really that bad if I talk about some woman inappropriately with another guy, right? It's not that bad. It says boys will be boys. And so the line just keeps getting pressed. Like, well, then maybe it's not so bad if I just play around and smack someone's bottom, right? Like, <laughs> or, right. and it just keeps progressing. Having having a culture where we are already making excuses for people and saying, you know, I, and and that's you know another d- bigger discussion is just the kind of cultures that we're we're perpetuating in our churches of 
let's not talk about negative things. Let's not put the spotlight on on sin because that's not what we should be focusing on Jesus, right? And you know, I'm telling you that Jesus is saying you need to be talking about the sin and the evil that you're just enabling and and the wolves that you're enabling to just run free in in your church. I mean, on the other side of this, you know, for us personally, as you know, and, you know, we haven't really gotten very public about it here and there. Like I probably have said more than I should (laughs) uh, in in various (laughs) social media. But, you know, in our case, he was an elder who was, I mean, it wasn't formal charges, but we've received this letter blasting everything that he's done. And we said, okay, let's talk about it, right? Like, let's, it wasn't like he just said, this letter is bonkers and I don't want to talk about it. Like he said, okay, let's go line by line. And I want to understand where this is coming from. I don't think it, this letter is fair, but some of it might be, some of it might be true of me and I want to understand it and I want to know why I'm being perceived this way. And after many, many conversations is like, yeah, I'm really not doing these things. <laughs> like the, the yeah. things that you're accusing me of are, are totally unfounded. And that's the process that should happen. I mean, that's, that's what should be happening. Now, yeah. to be fair, after that process, they fired him anyway. Yeah. And so then we have the other side of this where we have sessions that, again, don't know what they're doing. They're not really prepared. They're not really doing the work that needs to be done to understand, to to discern all of the moving parts because it's always complicated. It's always complicated. And so, you know, you you have this, in a way it's the other side of the same coin. You don't wanna hold people accountable for their sin, but when you do, it's, um, you know, you, you end up with decisions like, well, we, we don't know how to handle this and we're not gonna say we've, we acted wrongly, so you need to go. And that, that's what ended up happening for us. Yeah, and I know we've talked about this before, but it really is talking out of both sides of our mouths um, in which we insist, insist upon grace for the, the perpetrator or the accused while beating the accusers over the head with the law, essentially. You have to forgive. You have to stop talking about this. You have to move on. And it's, you know, it's the same kind of situation where we almost are creating, we're creating these problems for ourselves because, because when we have actual, you know, multiple people coming forward with stories and accusations of what has happened to them from this one person, and we're quick to say, I mean, that was something in the, in the, this story out of central Indiana that another huge flag for me was. And thank God for, for the elder that's there because, you know, his, his comment even in the article was, you can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't say there is no wrongdoing here and then put down pastoral discipline on him. So either he's innocent and there's no pastoral discipline 
or he's not, then we need to put through, this needs to go to trial. You can't yeah. rule that there's, that there is, you know, not enough evidence to go to trial that also put on these pastoral disciplines. So anyway, there was a point to that. The situation there, you know, is like, okay, you have all these people bringing forth these accusations and now we're not, we're just going to say, no, there's not enough evidence to take this to trial. And then you have a situation like yours, you know, where, where there's one person coming forward with accusations and the response is, let's talk about this. Like, you know, I'm not going to put my feet, dig my feet down on the ground and say that I have no sin. I'm going to say, show me, let's talk about it. Where do I need to, where do I need to repent? And then those people get kicked out. It's like, that's not what we want. We want leaders like that. We want leaders who are humbly asking for accountability and communication and all those things. In our situation, the response was the same. And you know this, you saw the letter from our, from our session. There is no evidence of sin in this person's ministry. And it's like, what? How, how can you even say that about anyone? If you truly believe the gospel, you know, are we, are we reformed or are we not, you know, is man depraved or is he not? That was a rant. (laughs) Next couple months, we'll we'll talk about a couple more of the overtures that are uh, trying to address some of this stuff, trying to address the idea of, of, you know, what are we doing when, when charges are pressed and what's the, What's the process? All, all of those things. How are we treating people who, who come forward and accuse? Like, are we taking care of them? Like, do we really care about them? Do we really care about people who, regardless of, of you know, people are so afraid of false ag- allegations and um, which is, which is a whole nother conversation. Like the, the data by and large and we can all we all have personal anecdotes of you know that one time somebody accused someone falsely and it led to disaster um, yeah. but the again the humility of saying if you have something against me i want to talk about it and i want to get to the bottom of it and i don't want it to get out of hand like i i don't want it to get to the point where you're talking to the local newspaper about me right. Right? I mean, come on. (laughs) And so at some point along the way, we have to be asking, like, we did we not did we did we not just bring this on ourselves? (laughs) Right? Like, and that's the question that this particular pastor has got to be asking himself. And you know, if he isn't, there's a good chance that he's a narcissist, right? I mean, there's a good chance that he really has an issue, like a really deep-seated issue. He needs to deal with, in which case he cannot be a teaching elder in good standing right now. Right, saying there's no hope for him. I'm saying right now he cannot be in a pulpit. Right, and so, um, and and for multiple reasons, not just the initial allegations, and that that's something we have to get our heads around too. It's like even once those initial allegations came out, regardless of whether they were true or not. Everything has happened since. Right. Everything has happened was... since. Yeah. yeah. Like his response and the way that he is attacking the victims, the way that he's yeah. 
trying Highly to problematic. Yeah, all of it, all of it points to a very serious character issue. Yeah, I mean, I don't, again, you know, the press tray is still, you know, the jury is still out. And so we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. And I've been praying, you know, I have the names of the victims on my whiteboard here that I pray for every day. And I, I hope that that justice is done, but I, regardless of whether it is or not, I, I mean, I, I have fair confidence that it will be, but the bigger lessons that we need to learn are just crucial for how how the PCA is going to go forward. And the fact that there's there's a large group of people in the PCA that don't even want to talk about it is troubling. <laughs> and, you know, it, it would be interesting, you know, someone pointed out earlier, like, are we talking about the same group of people? Like, I don't know if, you know, it'd be, it'd be super interesting. The data, if I was, you know, a sociologist or something and could like take some kind of survey or something, I would figure out like, who are the people that are not talking about abuse and not calling for private investigations in their churches and not trying to pass overtures on these things? And do a Venn diagram of the people that are at these conferences talking about CRT and 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 homosexuality and all these like other things. Like yeah. they're talking about all of those things. And to me, it's like a smokescreen. It really is. It's like, yeah. we don't want to deal with these things. We want to deal with these other things because they're not our problem. You know, they're, they're not things that we personally struggle with. And so it's a lot easier for us to talk about those things instead of talking about the things that are happening under our roofs. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be interesting to kind of figure out, and I'm not saying it's necessarily all of them. I mean, it's definitely not all of them, but uh, there's certainly a large percentage of people, I think, that are not willing to clean their own house first. And that, that I mean, isn't that one of the things in, <laughs> in the list of qualifications of elders that you have to manage your own house first, right? Yeah. Yep. So, so there we have it. <laughs> I'm, I am so, you know, it's, this year has been, I mean, it's May now and since last May, this year has been such a roller coaster with so many twists and turns that I never could have predicted in my whole life. For me personally and for the church at large, like it's just been unbelievable. <laughs> and um, I am so looking forward to GA in that I, th- I really think that it's going to say a lot about our future and the next, you know, 10 years of our church life. Personally, <laughs> like what are we going to do? We're not, we're not leaving. We're not leaving PCA. They're going to have to kick us out, which they might try. <laughs> and that's okay. They can try. And, and I, uh, I want to be careful about that. But, you know, my, my husband, um, you know, we've been talking to a few different churches and we're, we're just honest with them. Like at this point, it's like all bets are off, right? Like we, we've done enough work now with different churches to know the questions to ask 
Like that would be a whole other podcast we should do about, you know, people who are- Yeah, we definitely need to do that. Job searches, right? <laughs> um, here, here are the questions we ask <laughs> to make sure that we're going to be okay here. Because it is, it's about being safe too. It's being safe for us, for me, for my children, right? Like here are questions we've learned to ask of churches because we need to make sure that we don't have to keep looking over our shoulders for people who are going to slander us. And, and come after our jobs. So, huh. yeah. So I'm looking forward to GA. I think it'll be really telling. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. We're, we're going to have to be careful if we sit together and, and some of the, because we're not allowed to talk. And we're just going to be like, <laughs> we're going to be I'll like, have a note, we'll have a notebook. Well, I was going to say, we'll be like texting each other back and forth. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of that i think uh, <laughs> yeah uh, yes 